We have uh, some shut-ins uh, that we haven't seen for a while, and we certainly, again, do miss and uh, because of uh, uh, physical and, and restraints that happen to be in their life. They're not here, and uh, little Eliseo has a birthday today, so he's probably watching this morning, and we want to wish him uh, from the whole congregation a happy birthday. And also Brad and Barb have an anniversary today, and we want to wish them, again, a very happy anniversary. We're thankful for all these folks and thankful, again, that we can gather together in the name of the Lord, and I—I uh, I, I don't know. I—you uh, look at a historical books, and I love again to pre-preach through the epistles, and I find it again really hard many times to go through the historical narratives. Uh, but one of the things I've really enjoyed is I've enjoyed going through the Book of Acts. I've enjoyed again really seeing the beginning of the church, uh, the foundation of the church, the functionality of the church, and I've really, really enjoyed this. You know, I think it gives us a lot of conviction, again, of how we are to do church, how we, why we exist as a church here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. And last time we were together, we even tried to understand what, what unbelief looked like and the reason for unbelief. And as we looked again at the unbelief of the, of the Sanhedrin, especially the Sadducees that make up the Sanhedrin, we found it's not, not based upon intellect, it's not based upon logic, but it's based upon what happens to be in the human heart. The reason why people reject the Lord Jesus Christ is because they want something else. You know, and they realize beyond a shadow of a doubt, if they have Jesus Christ as their Lord, as their Savior, then their life has to change drastically. They have to begin in their life. So here come the Sanhedrin, and they realize their position, they realize their power, they realize their theology. And here are these disciples doing these miracles, preaching in the name of Jesus. They bring him before them. In uh, Acts chapter 4, they tell them, you know, whatever you do, don't preach in this name anymore, or there's going to be consequences. And well, what do the apostles do? They keep on preaching the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here... In this chapter, we see that they're arrested, they're put in prison again overnight, and no doubt there's a trial coming the next day in which they're going to be condemned and the problem is going to be taken care of. In other words, here come the consequences. And we realize as we preach the gospel, as we live for the Lord Jesus Christ, that there's going to be opposition, there's going to be pushback. The real question is, what comes next? You know, what do we do in the face of opposition? What do we do in the face of trials, especially when we're trying to live out our faith in Jesus Christ? You know, and there's lots of push. There's push outside of the church. There's push, again, that having to begin inside the church to do something different. You know, and the greatest push inside the church today is for this thing called relevancy. You know, the church has to be relevant. You know, we're living in modern times. There has to be a modern a relevant message, because there's one problem with the old, old gospel, and the problem, again, with the old, old gospel that we're told is that it's old. You know, it's no longer applicable, again, to us today. You know, we need, again, problems for our times. We need, again, to address problems in our society, problems in our country, problems in our world, problems that have to begin in our world. You know, and we have to get away from this idea, again, of preaching on justification or preaching sanctification or preaching glorification. How many times do we have to hear that message? You know, and there's a push, isn't there? In the midst, again, of opposition, there's a push, again, to make the church about something else, something, again, people look at as meaningful. And really, again, people will even throw out stats about all the people leaving the church today. There's many people on any given Sunday that will walk out of the church and never come back. And when I say never come back, it's not that they've gone and joined another church. They just never come back to Christianity. 
You know, and we have all of this pushback. We have all of this opposition that happens to be going on in our life. And let me say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the authority in how we do church and how we function again as a church is not society. It's not, again, in the so-called needs of society. The, the, the functionality, the whole purpose of why we exist and why we do church is found in the greatest authority. And that happens to be, again, our God that happens to be, again, in heaven. You know, and when you answer the question of authority, what or who is my authority, it gives great direction in your life. You know, and how you function again and what you do that happen to begin in your life. For the Sadducees, they would say beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is our authority. But when it came down to it, many times the word of God was discarded. For what? For tradition. For dead ritual that they would go through. And many times they would go through the Old Testament and they would say again, we need to obey this part, but this part again is optional. That happened to begin in our life. You know, and even Paul warned about this as far as preachers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning of verse number 3, says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into mess. If that hasn't come to pass 10,000 times again, they're having to begin over. And what he means, again, by they will not endure sound, uh, sound teaching is that they will not endure the faith that has been passed down once and for all to the saints. In other words, again, these great truths of justification, these great truths, again, of glorification, these great truths of our sanctification in this life, these great truths of our great hope that happens to be again in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will not endure you know, and I think a lot of times we're pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, and we're looking for another message, aren't we? You know, you look at the uh, top ten lists that happen to be, again, of books out there, and so often they're about extra-biblical revelation. You know, in the last ten years, there's been a number of, uh, I would say, very high-profile books that happen to be uh, about near-death experiences. <laughs> Have you ever heard about them? You know, somebody dies on the operating table, or somebody dies and the paramedics come, and all of a sudden they're translated into heaven, and they bring a, a message back. And let me tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, those books are bestsellers, aren't they? In fact, I can think of one of them just recently that has been made into a full-length movie. And this is what heaven is like. And what we do many times is we discard what God has already said for something new, something novel, because this is what we need. We need a new message. You know, and all of us who happen to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ would profess that we believe in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16, right? It says this, all scripture. Now, what does all scripture mean? It means what? Please, somebody help me. It means all, doesn't it? It means all scripture, not parts of it, but every single aspect of it, whether it happens to be geography, whether it happens to be history, whether it happens to be didactic passages, whether it happens to be poetry. It is all given by God. And that's what it means. All scripture is what breathed out. You know, how did God create everything? How did God create creation? He spoke it. And that's what's being uh, articulated here. It is the breath of God. It is the production of God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And I don't think there's a believer, a true believer in Jesus Christ, who would say, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. We all believe that. Here's where the difference comes in. The difference comes in is do you believe beyond a shadow of a doubt for the church, for your life? 
that is absolutely enough. You know, that is sufficient for everything that we go through, sufficient for direction, for, sufficient for the wisdom to handle all of the difficulties, all of the trials that happen to be in life, and give us direction how we function as individuals and also the church. Because right after that, again, in verse number 17, he says that. That is a purpose statement, right? When you see the word that, that's a purpose statement. This is why the word of God is given, that the man of God or the person of God may be complete. What does complete mean? It means absolutely mature. You know, absolutely built up in Jesus Christ, equipped for what? Every good work, not just some good works. So what do we need? Again, beyond a shadow of doubt, we need the word of God. You know, it's the word of God that we find our direction as a church in the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just say this, it will have a dramatic effect on our church and on our lives when we profess whatever our authority happens to be. So think of these men. They're just simple men. They have no worldly acclaim. They have no worldly power. They have no worldly authority. And here they're told, here again, they're threatened with life itself. And the question is, what will they do? What direction will they go? What authority will they listen to? What purpose will they live for? And that's what I want us to look at this morning. You know, we began this section that begins again in this paragraph in verse number 17, and I would like to look at the rest of it in verses 19 to 21. And what I want us to do is walk through the passage, and then I want us to bring some conclusions or some Uh, applications that we can have for our church and for our own lives. But let's just read verses 19 following again right here. It says, During the night, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to to, to the people all the words of this life. And when they had heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. You know, I'm always amazed. How often uh, difficulties, problems, trials, temptations, adversity that happen to begin in our life many times kicks us off the wrong path, doesn't it? Or off the right path. Many times we're detoured over here or we're detoured that happen to begin over here. As if there's something wrong when we go through trials that happen to be in our life. And we mentioned this last time. If you are serious about your Christianity... If you find your joy in Jesus Christ, and I'm not talking about a fluffy joy, I'm talking about a substantial joy because of who Jesus is and what he has done in our life and what he has promised, again, for our future. When you realize that beyond a shadow of a doubt, you are going to be persecuted. There's going to be opposition that happens to be coming in in your life. You know, opposition, again, like I said, in the church and outside of the church. And the reason why I say that is so often we're looking for some sort of other message. This is how it plays out. You know, the church is going through a tough time. It's going through a tough time again outside. There's pressures being brought in. There's difficulties that happen to begin inside. People want to go in this direction and that direction and every direction. And a pastor will stand in the pulpit this morning and he'll say something like this. I believe God is leading me on. You know, I believe, you know, as I look at my life, as I look at the testimony, as I look again at what God has brought in my life, that my ministry has come to to, to a conclusion. And let me ask you this question. Where has he gotten that message from? And the answer is not in the Word of God, not in the sufficient scriptures that happen to be given in the Word of God. Or how about this? Here's pressure coming in from the outside. Here's pressure. You know, there's difficulties where 
living with saints that are in the midst again of sanctification. And all of a sudden, a congregant will come to their pastor and say something like this. I believe, you know, I prayed about it, you know, and I believe it's the will of God for me to leave. I believe it's God's will at this time, and God is telling me that I ought to leave. Now, here's the question. Here's the question beyond a shadow of a doubt. Where are they getting that message? Because we either believe God's word is sufficient for life and godliness, or we don't. You know, we either believe what the scriptures say, or we do not believe what the scriptures say. And here's my whole point. We're always looking for another message. We're always trying to read society, or we're reading our circumstances that happen to be around us, to find out what God is saying. And the question is not this. What is God trying to tell me? But here's the question. What has God already said? What has God already commanded me? What has God already revealed that the way that we should function, the way that we should behave, what we should do in Jesus Christ? That's the question, isn't it? And let me tell you, in the last 2,000 years of church history, and please hear this, because this is my main point, in the last 2,000 years of church history, the mandate for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has not changed. Do you believe that? Do you believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt? Because think of this whole situation. This is absolute. If, if there should be any, any change in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, it should be right here. These men are going to be put on trial for the people who killed Jesus, by the same people who killed Jesus. What do you think is going to happen to them? What do you think they think as they spend the night in jail? What's going to happen to them in the morning? And the question, what will they do? And here's an amazing thing, because we see this miracle, and, and that is the angel come. You know, and this must have frustrated the Sadducees. Remember the Sadducees are theological uh, liberals? There's no such thing as spirit beings. There's no such thing as angels. There's no such thing as miracles. And here, prison doors are open. Right? No key. Right? Prison doors are open. Here's this messenger of God that comes before them. And it must have frustrated them. You know, and you can see that in verse number 19, because look at what it says. I love this, too, and I think it should be a great encouragement. It says, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, and we'll look in a second what they said, but I want us to see. Look at the first word here. What's the first word? Somebody tell me, really, really loud. But, right? And what is but? But is a contrast. And this is the second contrast, because up in verse number 17, when we begin this paragraph, there's... But the high priest and the Sadducees, you know, they were gathered together. They were filled with jealousy. And this is the response to the preaching of the gospel. We had just seen that all of these individuals are coming to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, are believing in him, that he is alive forevermore, that he is the great sacrifice for sin. And then we're met with his unbelief. You know, that's the contrast. And the second contrast is about this. Worldly power against God's power. There is a question, what's greater? Right? Here's the Sadducees. We are going to stomp out this faith in Jesus Christ. And here's God's power. And here's Jesus Christ who says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Can you think of anything stronger in our world than the gates of hell? And this is what Jesus says. This is what Jesus says. The gates of hell will not prevail against what I am going to build. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? 
should encourage our hearts, whatever we're going through, whatever opposition, both inside and outside of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the amazing thing. He uses weak vessels like these fishermen and like you and I in order to get his will done. Now, let me just say this, and I'll just mention this really quickly. There's some debate whether these men should have come out of the prison. You know, and the reason why is because we realize in the Word of God that we're given revelation, right? God has ordained the powers that happen to be. He has ordained the powers. There's a reason why Justin Trudeau, and don't roll your eyes at me. (laughs) There's a reason why Justin Trudeau happens to be the Prime Minister of Canada. There really is. You know, and why? Because God has set him there. You know, for his own purposes, And he can use even wicked men. But we're told, again, in the word of God, that we are to place, we are to submit to the powers that happen to be, whether they happen to be, again, national, whether they happen to be, again, regional, we are to submit those powers. And when you go over in Acts chapter 16, it's almost the same same scenario, right? Here's Paul and Silas, it's at midnight, they're singing praises to God, and there's an earthquake, and all of a sudden, prison doors are open. And the jailer goes in, and guess what? Everyone's in prison. And why? Because we have a date, according to the law, according to obedience to this great God that happens to be above, we have a date. Here it is, with the secular powers that happen to be in Philippi that very morning. Now, like I say, it's not a huge debate. You know, there's some that try to read more into this passage than happens to be again right there. But the apostles are led out by the, here it is, by the messenger of God. Right? By this angel. By this one that comes in, who who appears in the presence of God. What did he look like? I really don't know. Did he look human? Did he look, again, some sort of uh, angelic being? I just do not know. It's not told. That's not the important thing. The important thing is that he led them out. You know, and they're also, and this is the second thing, and this is the most important thing, they're also given direct revelation. Right? They're told what to do. And you can see that in verse number 20 because it says, here's the words, go. You know, this is a message right from God. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of, look at, look at how specific it is, this life. You know, in other words, there is a revelation that happens to be given. You know, it's almost like, you know, when... Uh, uh, Peter and John appear before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4, right? Don't preach in his name. Don't preach in his name. There's going to be consequences if you preach in his name. And how do they answer? They answer in verses 19 and 20 of that chapter. It says, but Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God, sight of God to listen to you, <coughs> excuse me, rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. In other words, they're saying this. There is a revelation given by God in what we must do. Right? There's a direct command. Here it is. Here's the secular power. You know, we place ourselves under, but here's the greater power of God. And when God makes a command, all of a sudden we realize beyond a shadow of a doubt, we obey God rather than the secular powers. You know, and that command came in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. It says, but you will receive. It's not saying that I can do whatever I think is wrong. I look into God's word. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And here it is. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the world. They're called to be witnesses. And here is this rise in opposition. And I want to say this clearly. 
with the rise of opposition, because we see the rise of opposition everywhere, especially in our uh, third world countries, especially in our, our, our Western world, we can see that rise of opposition happening before us. And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, the emphasis, the mission, the mandate of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has not changed. That's why the Lord says through this messenger, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. Don't you love that? Right? I mean, what would you do if there was no revelation given? And all of a sudden, the angel came and unlocked the door, saying, well, well, that's a reprieve. You know, where are the mountains? You know, I'm going to hide my light underneath a basket or underneath a bushel. Right? That's the temptation. And where are they told to go? And it's... It's amazing because they're told to go, think about this, right into the temple. This is the seat of power of the Sanhedrin. This is where their authority happens to be, right? And right here, again, this is where, for the Jews, the official presence of God, again, happens to be. And they're to preach this life, this specific life, again, of Jesus Christ. You know, and so to, to not to do this, to not to preach the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be rank disobedience, wouldn't it? Because God has said, again, beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is what the church ought to do. It ought to announce Jesus Christ. And you can see that in verse number 29, because here they're before the Sanhedrin, and here Peter again, uh, after they're asked, why are you keeping pre- uh, preaching when we told you not to? But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God. Here it is, rather than men. You know, not to be making knowing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ would be a direct violation of the, of the known command of God. Now, apply that to yourself. Because I see so many believers angry at society, angry at their neighbors, angry at their coworkers, angry at the government. Right? Right? Boom! And the question is, are we carrying out the mandate of God? You know, in your situation with the people that God has brought into your life, Are you making and maturing disciples for the glory of God? Are you testifying? You know, it's not not enough to see the life, but they're to look at our life, and we are to testify again of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I think a lot of times it's so easy to stand against things that happen to be again around us, whether it happens to be the boss, whether it happens to be society, whether it happens to be the government, but it's a lot more difficult to articulate the message of Jesus Christ. I think, again, a lot of times, if we would really admit it, we're ashamed of Jesus Christ. You know, and think of these men, because these men, angel's gone. And these men, here it is, go right in the temple. And think of it, they're not extraordinary men. They're just common fishermen, most of a lot of them. And they go right into this temple again, and we read in verse number 21 again, and when they had heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak. In other words, the first time that people would be coming into the temple. And this is what they did. They began to teach. In other words, they began to preach. So think of it. The mandate hasn't changed. Circumstances many times change. Here's Paul. And what is he doing at midnight? He's singing hymns. He's singing praise of this great God and the great salvation that's found in Jesus. And here are the apostles. And they come at daybreak and make known Jesus Christ. The mandate 
has not changed. And it's so easy to want the church to mean something else. You know, the church ought to be meeting this need, or the church ought to be doing this, or the church ought to be standing against this. And I get it. It's so easy to want these other things. But the church has been given a specific mandate. And you know what it is? It's the making, the making and maturing and maturing of disciples for the glory of this great God. Do we have the same attitude of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16? Listen to what he says. You know, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Right? To the Jew first and also the Greek. If you're not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, then even though you know that there's going to be opposition in your life, if you live and speak for Jesus Christ, if you're not ashamed of that life, you will become that gospel light. And that's what God has called us to, to be this light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation, again, comes from the very power of God to everyone who believes. Now, let me draw a few um, inferences, a few conclusions, again, from, this, from these verses that happen to begin right here. And the, and the first one, again, is probably the easiest And that is there's a specific message with a specific task that's given to the church and given to us individually. And we can see it again in Acts chapter 5. We can see it in many passages of Scripture, but in Acts chapter 5, verse number 20, it says, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words. And then he says of this, this life, right? It's specific, isn't it? It's not, again, go speak against something about me. You know, go speak of something, again, you saw here or you saw there. Speak of this life. And that's what I love about Christianity. Christianity is historical, isn't it? Certainly we're given the interpretation, again, of God through the word of God. But Christianity is historical. It is about the life, right? His perfect life. It is about his substitutionary death. It is about, again, how he conquered the penalty through this mighty resurrection. It's the great hope. We're going to be with him. He is going to come back. And it's about this Life, it's not about, again, my thoughts, my intimations, my observations. Again, that happen to be, again, about Jesus Christ, about God, about who he happens to be. It's not all of a sudden, again, I say, you know, I dreamt last night, and uh, I really had this neat thought about God, and I want to share it with you this morning. You know, it's not about that. It is about this life. And that's why we come back back time and time again to the word of God, don't we? It is about this specific life. It is about justification. It is about sanctification. It's about ultimate glorification that is found in this life and in this life alone. You know, and think of the implications of that. Because when we, we look at that, you know, it's very unpopular. You know, if you tell someone beyond a shadow of a doubt that the way that they live their lives, that even their best works, again, are like filthy rags, that happen to be in God's estimation, it's not a good way to make worldly friends, is it? It's not a good way to earn popularity as the world thinks of popularity, is it? And there's some aspects, again, that happen to be offensive. I can remember reading this testimony of this charismatic lady, and uh, she belonged to one of these churches that were really charismatic, and she was invited to go to an evangelical church, and she went to an evangelical church, and she was surprised again right away because the first thing that they did was open up the Bible. You know, and the pastor, again, beyond a shadow of a doubt, started preaching from the Bible. 
And she started, and she went there for a number of months, and she heard about justification. She heard about, again, that all of our sins are taken care of through this substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ that had purpose. And the purpose was because of my sin, that my sin is covered. My sin is forgiven forevermore. And she went back in a number of months later to her, to her charismatic pastor, and she, and she says, how come we don't hear about hell? How come we don't hear about judgment? How come we don't hear about sin? How, do, how, how come we don't hear about the wrath of God? And it was amazing that this pastor said, you know, we're trying to build people up, that they will be ready, that they will be armed to hear these truths. They're not ready yet. Let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, nobody is ever ready to hear about the greatest problem that they have, which is, here it is, is self. My sin before a holy God. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible they know. Let me tell you, it is going to be offensive. And we should know this because this should be absolutely academic. And we should know this truth. And like I say, it should be really academic. And here's the truth. I want you to hear it. Here is the truth. Nobody comes to Christ unless they understand the bad news. Right? He can't understand how glorious the good news is that Christ has done it all. Unless you understand the bad news that I stand under the righteous wrath of God because of my own personal sin. I mean, it's an amazing message. You know, the other inference when he says all the words of life is not only do I preach all of the words, the entire message, the entirety about the Lord Jesus Christ, but when it says all the words of this life, it's narrowing the focus, isn't it? It's telling me beyond a shadow of a doubt that I have to preach this life and only this life. And the reason why I bring that up is because it's so common today to add something, isn't it? You look at a Roman Catholic church, and they call Mary... You know, this is Mariology, the doctrine of Mary. They call Mary the co-redemptrix. And what what do they mean? Well, you need Jesus Christ. He's the greater redeemer. But in order to get that work of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to go through Mary. Mary goes, we go through Mary. You know, she's got the ear of Jesus. And if you truly want salvation, if you truly want forgiveness, if you truly want some grace, some favor that happens again of Jesus, you have to go through Mary. Right? And you ask yourself, where do they get that doctrine? And here it is. Here it is, right? Remember, this life, this life, this life. It's clearly defined right here. And here it is. What you need, if you're ever going to come into God's presence, is what you need is you need the Bible, but you also need the authoritative teaching of the church. You need this plus this. Right? This is what the angel says. The angel said there is a narrow focus, right? right? All of the life, but this life and only this life. Now, it's easy to pick on someone like the Roman Catholic Church. But let me tell you, there are, I don't know how many individuals that will stand in the pulpit on a given Sunday in an evangelical church and say something like this. God spoke to me this week. You know, I was praying, and all of a sudden God gave me an impression. And they'll preach about what God spoke to them or the impression that happens to begin in their life. And here's the question. Where do they get that authority to preach that message? You know, what the 
apostles are commanded to preach is a narrow focus. Here it is, about this life, right? It's contained right here, right? Right, contained right here in 66 books. The Old Testament points forward to Christ, and then we have Christ. And this is it. You know, where do they have that authority all of a sudden to say beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have the right to be preaching anything but the word of God? So we're commanded to preach the word in only the word of God. And think of it, because here, here, here's, the, here's the thing. I, I hear this all the time, and there's a sense in which it's true, and there's a sense in which it's false. And here's, here's a statement that's made many times. statement is this. Excuse me one second. I just got a little dry spot. The statement is right this. We preach. We serve. We are in. We are before the audience of one. And there's a sense that having to begin in a true you know, God is our great authority. We want to obey him. We want to please, to please him. Everything is done in his sight. But I do think it's amazing when you look at this verse in verse number 21, because he says, and when they, uh, uh, I'm sorry, in verse number 20, sorry guys, and go and stand in the temple and speak to the, here's the word, people. Now here's the question. Why do you need to speak to people? And the reason why you need to speak to people is because without this revelation of this life, people are condemned, right? A person, you know, we think many times, if they just see my stellar life, if they see my love for the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll come to Christ. Nobody comes to Christ through these. These are not the redeemers, right? Right? Faith comes by, what's the next word? Hearing. And hearing what? The word of Christ. Right? These are the redeemers. And let me say again, our lives might give testimony that we truly believe this message. But people need that message. They cannot know about Christ. They cannot know about his life. They cannot know about his substitutionary death just by looking at the world that happens to be around us. So what has God sent? God has sent his people into this world to be messengers of this great salvation. And there's an urgency. And the reason why there's an urgency is the truth is unchanging. The nature of that truth, the nature of man is unchanging. You know, it's not that we're living in different times, in different age, in a different uh, locale, and therefore we need a little different message. It's the same message. You know, it's as Peter said earlier in this book, in, verse, uh, in chapter 4, in verse number 12, and he says, then there is salvation in no one else, right? For there is no other name, no one else and no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's only one way. You know, that man could be right. When he says no one else, he's talking about this life. He's talking about this clearly defined truth that is defined in clear borders. So what's the mission of the church? What's the mission of the church? Why are we here this morning? Why are we, aren't, are we hearing about, again, what's going on in this part of the world or that, that part of the world? Why are we talking about, again, some physical needs that happen to begin in our society, that happens to begin around us? And the reason why is because God has given us a specific mandate. And a specific mandate in which he's going to be glorified for all of eternity 
is through the making and maturing of the disciples of the glory of God. And when you think of the greatest need of man, it's easy for us as believers to say the greatest need of man is salvation in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And if that is true, then what is the most important? What is the most important thing that they need in their life that they need to hear? And it's the gospel. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is incredible because I see so many evangelical churches being pushed this way and pushed that way. And probably, again, the greatest push, I would say, in the last five years in evangelical churches is towards politics. Isn't it true? You know, to make the church about this, to make the church about that, and I get it. I really do get it. I live in the same world that you do. I live again under the same burdens that you do in this society, in these laws that many times are passed. And I get it. We want to be frustrated. Many times we don't think that our voice is being heard and we want the church, we want somebody to represent us. It's amazing to look at these men. These men are incarcerated and they're going to be put on trial the very next day for their very lives. And here they are, they're let out of prison miraculously, and what do they go do? And it's not this. We need to stop the Sanhedrin. Let me tell you how wicked, how evil, how unjust they are. No, what do they do? Look at this Christ. Look at this salvation. Look at who he is. Right? And what's my whole point? My whole point is the mandate that God has given us in 2023 at Emmanuel Baptist Church has not changed. Has not changed. He's given us this specific, very detailed commission to preach about a specific message, to preach about a specific life, to preach about a specific hope. In Jesus Christ. And we're not to veer off side to side. I think some people might be feel really comfortable making it about this or making it about that. But this is what we're given. And let me just, just say, we're not that different than the early church. You know, there's, there will be pressures. There will be trials. There will be adversity. You know, there will be all of these things that will seek to derail us from our calling and change the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and accommodate ourselves to the times and to the seasons that we're going through. And may God give us the grace to obey him and follow him. In the words of Martin Luther, here we stand. We preach this message we can do no other. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Oh, Father, what an amazing gospel. What an amazing mandate. Lord, we realize that many influences, many power, uh, uh, many uh, uh, Adversities come upon the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, even coming upon in each one of our lives. Lord, so often our hearts are taken up with these trials, with these problems, with these difficulties. 
And so often, Lord, we think these problems, these difficulties, the laws that happen to be even passed in our land, Lord, are a great detraction from making and maturing of disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we forget the power, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, who said that even the gates of hell shall not prevail against what Jesus Christ is doing. God, may we never get distracted. May we never veer off course. May we never make this institution, this body, this church about something other than Jesus Christ and him crucified, yea, risen from the dead for lost sinners such as us, Lord. May we be busy about making and maturing of disciples for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for our great hope in Jesus Christ. Just be with us now as we go to the table that we might remember, Lord, your, his perfect life and substitutionary death. We thank you once again in Christ's name. Amen. Brother.